So the amount of energy it takes to make one potato chip is something like 42 kilotons of nuclear power. <laughs> 42 ki- So what is that? What is that? How does that? We need four nuclear bombs worth of energy Whoa. to create a single potato chip. <laughs> Boy, that, they talk about kettle cooked. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to What the If. I'm Philip Shane. I'm a documentary filmmaker and science dork. <laughs> ah, dweeb. Normally I've shied away from these things, but you know, we've been doing this long enough. I feel like I can, I can own it. Yeah. You can just full on embrace it. Dork out. You, sir, are no dork, no dweeb. No, I'm certainly a dork. I just get paid specifically to be a dork. There's good pay in dorks these days, by the way. These days, yeah, that's right. It's not like the old days. That's right. Dorkage. Uh, Matthew Stanley, professor of La Universidad de Nueva York. (laughs) See? (laughs) As uh, listed, people are talking about you all over the world these days. Suppose so, yeah. With uh, your new book, Einstein's War. War! War! And the subtitle is how relativity triumphed amid the vicious nationalism of World War One. if you've got the American edition. Uh, but I actually just picked up the UK edition, uh, for which the subtitle is How Relativity Conquered Nationalism and Shook the World. So you can, so you can have your choice. Yeah, and the British version has a different, like a totally different cover, different picture. Totally different cover, yeah. That's interesting. Are they that different from us? Uh, uh, Waterstones, the uh, big bookstore chain in the UK had strong feelings about what the cover should look like. So, changed. Very interesting. Yeah. Good day, Waterstones. Jolly good. <laughs> wait, wait to stick up for your, for your opinion. We're jumping right in. We're jumping right in today. Any of you out there, dear listeners, thank you for tuning in, by the way. Thank you for playing. I still don't know what it, tuning in is still not right. What do we call it with podcasts? Thank you for downloading and playing. Or streaming. Thank you for streaming in. That's interesting. You are all welcome and encouraged to submit ideas for show topics. If your idea gets chosen as a very special person, his idea will be chosen today, you will receive a fun, educational, hilarious, and very comfortable finger puppet. A finger puppet from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild of a scientist or science fiction character. And this week, the finger puppet will be going to Guy Raider. Guy Raider. Of New York City, I believe. Of Queens. Of Queens, a borough mm-hmm. of New York City. I am in Kings. That is That's right, you Brooklyn. are in Kings County. Yeah. Brooklyn, mm-hmm. for some reason, is also called Kings. But Guy is in Queens. Each of us thinks we are the actual ruler. Of the realm. Yeah, there will be a civil war on uh, Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be a very uncivil war. 
Here's Guy's idea, a, a, a really beloved one, I know, for us and for all our listeners who are especially science fiction fans, in particular Star Trek fans. Guy says, shows his subject from the email he sent us, by the way, you can submit us an email, just go to our website, whatthef.com, and click the contact button. And Guy sent us an email, and he says, his show suggestion, the Star Trek Replicator. Guy says, being able to produce items organic and inorganic from energy. How much energy are we talking about for the Star Trek Replicator? Is it really more efficient to create items from energy rather than stockpile and take the weight slash mass hit from having the extra cargo? What would an energy-to-matter conversion entail? It sounds dangerous. Yes. <laughs> Is there radiation? Are the produced results inferior? Uh, they, I, I can't remember. I feel like they, they tend to be fairly happy about the replication. I can't remember if they complain. I know on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that replicator on uh, Zephod's ship very, makes very, very poor tea. Oh, yeah, that's right. But he is a special case. That's know? true. And he's British, and he's, as we've heard about the the British publishers of bookstores, for instance. Very particular people. So what would an energy-to-matter conversion entail? Is there radiation? Are the produced results inferior? Can it still be labeled non-GMO and gluten-free? Very important. <laughs> is this really the most efficient way to get a hot Earl Grey tea? Because it does all come down to the T. That's right. That's right. I think Ifers, it's all of us and all of you. I think Ifers, Guy says, would like to know what the implications are. Cheers, Guy. As odd as it may seem, there may be people out there who don't automatically know what we're talking about. Or, like us, they're just waking up in the morning. So, Star Trek Replicator, what was it? Now, that actually, began, the very first season of Star Trek had this. It's actually, uh, actually, the original Star Trek, as in, in 1967 to 1969. Yes. It was ambiguous whether they had replicators or if it was just sort of a kitchen machine. Ah, like, like the, what do they call it? The automat. The automat, yes. <laughs> Somebody so behind the little, counter just... They're a little the... ambiguous about that. That's right. But by the time of uh, Star Trek Next Generation, which was 87, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something like that, special effects had improved. So <laughs> they had a, a uh, so it was made clear that there was a device called a replicator on the ship, and you would tell it what you wanted, such as tea, Earl Grey, hot, and then it would make it for you out of pure energy. Pure energy. Pure energy. None of that dirty energy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how they got their food and clothes and tchotchkes. And I think in one episode, we see, uh, you know, cat food replicated. Pretty much anything you want. Yeah. And actually, if I remember right, there was one terribly racist episode where they'd rescued like a planet of Irish people and they had to replicate a whole bunch of alcohol. It was really like the worst possible oh stereotyping. God. Now, is that racist or is that vicious nationalism? Uh, that is both, actually. Okay. It's, it's nice. Sometimes you get a, a Venn diagram overlap there. <laughs> right. um, so this is a, a standard piece of Star Trek magic technology. 
you know, like the warp drive or the transporter. But it's based on a sound idea in physics, which is E equals MC squared. Well, the nuclear thing. Yeah, the nuclear thing. The equation is pretty short. E, e is energy. M is mass. And C squared is the speed of light squared, but it's just a number. It's a constant. The, the fact that it's the speed of light is totally irrelevant. Now, did E... I've always... So this is, by the way, this is Einstein. This came, is Einstein. Came yeah. up with this. And I've always thought or wondered, the big E, like he has this very famous equation, the shortest of all, the one everyone can remember. Mm -hmm. and it starts with a giant E, did he sort of think, <laughs> like Einstein. Oh, uh, no. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the original formulation actually is not written out as E equals MC squared. It's, it's something different because he's not, he's trying to solve a totally different problem. And this equation pops out by accident. Amazing. So exactly what this equation means is kind of complicated. So it essentially says energy equals matter. Okay, fine. But like, what does that mean? Because my interaction with energy is different than interaction with matter what is matter yeah matter stuff stuff you can poke oh. with a stick right so skittles right skittles mm -hmm. are matter mm -hmm. and i can i can fill my pockets with skittles right so that's that's the kind of thing you can do with mass and with matter but i can't really fill my pockets with energy mm -hmm. right i can i can give the skittles energy by hurling them across the room but th then we say the skills have energy or the energy is doing stuff, but you can't interact with energy the way you interact with matter. De definitely filling your pockets with energy does not, I, I wouldn't try that at home. No, you can't, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you can, but don't try it, right? <laughs> so it's, so this, so kind of intuitively the equation is a little bit weird because it, it demands that we ask, what does it mean to say energy equals matter? Um, and there's a few different ways you can think about it. The, the most standard way is to say that matter has an energy equivalent. Right. Okay. So in certain circumstances, you can convert matter into energy and vice versa. Now you say, was, is it the M also referred to as mass or do I have that wrong? So, ma yes, M stands for mass, oh. uh, which is the, the technical term. And I and matter is something that has mass. Okay. Yeah. So I've been, I've been speaking kind of loosely by using them as right. the, the same. But basically, anything you can poke with a stick is matter. Like this. Um, and so, it can be turned into pure energy. Well, that's right. It can be turned into energy. And energy comes in lots of different forms. So it gets a little confusing. But the, uh, in Einstein's time, the most clear example of this was radioactivity. So if you take a lump of radium, say, it's hot and because it's giving off radiative energy. And the, the question has to be, where does that energy come from? So if I actually, radium is a, looks like a rock? Yep. And no, if metal, you held it, like a, mm -hmm. a metal, and you, if you held a lump of it, it would actually feel hot. That's right. It would feel warm. as as. Uh, yeah, radioactive, highly radioactive materials like radium or plutonium are hot to the touch because Ooh. they're generating so much energy. Uh, one of the guys who um, 
made the first atomic bomb described holding a, a chunk of plutonium as feeling like um, having a rabbit in your hand. Interesting. Yeah, if you imagine that kind of warm flesh, he said it's felt felt like that. Right? That's interesting. And, and the sort of subtle analogy to uh, explosive growth or mm-hmm. multiple. Maybe things. something like that. Interesting right? like that too. So, it, but did he, did his hands fall off? Uh, no. So it's not the, bad. Um, uh, if if he had held it, if he'd kept it in his pocket, for instance, uh-huh. for long periods of time, he probably would have gotten cancer. Mm. Uh, but for the most part, uh, radioactive materials like uranium and plutonium, you can handle with your hands. Huh. Don't do this at home. If right. you have a chunk of plutonium, just don't. <laughs> yeah. If you have a chunk of plutonium, call the police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do anything with it. But for the most part, it takes long exposure. To those sorts of materials. Oh. There's other kinds of radioactive materials that'll knock you down fast. Right. So, uh, so, so in Einstein's age, the great mystery is where does the energy of radioactivity come from? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And E equals MC squared turns out to give an explanation for that. So what's happening in a radioactive material is that some of the mass is disappearing and turning into energy. Mm. The, the heat of radium comes from radium atoms going away or turning into other kinds of matter that weigh less. So we get what's called a matter-energy conversion. So it's just it, the, the part, very, very small particles of the lump of plutonium or radium are slowly evaporating into energy in a way. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Uh-huh. And I know we'll probably get some angry emails from people saying I'm not describing beta decay, decay correctly, and that's okay. But for our purposes, uh, that works perfectly well. So this, so Einstein sort of by accident solves this great mystery of where does the energy of radioactivity come from. And then, of course, we learn how to harness that directly and do things like build radioactive or build nuclear uh, bombs, nuclear reactors. Those are all come from E equals mc squared. But the equation is symmetric. It's E equals mc squared, not m arrow e. M arrow. Oh, uh uh-huh. Does that make sense? (laughs) As far as the physics is concerned, we should be able to go from energy to matter the same way we go from matter to energy. Oh, so we should be able to freeze energy. Right. Or condense it, again, loosely, but condense it down into, if you could, if you could stop the energy somehow, mm-hmm. it could become a solid thing. Yeah. So this turns out to be trickier for, for sort of a variety of reasons. But most of it is you just have to, the, that C squared term tells you that you need that uh, an enormous amount of energy is needed to make a small amount of matter. Oh, okay. All right. So you have to get all that energy in one place to to sort of get the conversion to happen. Which also means that that the reason nuclear power is so uh, useful is that in tiny amounts of matter, there's an enormous amount of energy. There's a staggering amount of energy. And this is, so, you know, like, um, you know, Indian Point nuclear power plant that helps run, that provides a third of the power for New York City, um, has been operating for 30, 40 years now, I think. 
and it is probably used about a kilogram. You're kidding. A fuel. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah, nuclear power is fantastically efficient. Wow. And that's the nuclear power is also what the sun runs on, which is why the sun has been going for a bil- four billion years and will go for at least a few more billion years. Because it, because nuclear energy is just awesome. And yet, see, if the Earth had been here first, and people lived on it, somehow, and then somebody came up with the idea of putting a gigantic nuclear furnace the size of the sun, mm-hmm. which didn't exist at that time. So they basically said, let's put an enormous give it a shot. nuclear thing in the center of the solar system. Everybody would be like, no way. It would probably violate some zoning regulations, would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. Not in my back orbit. Oh, that's right. Our solar system is zoned for no thermonuclear explosions. So this is so you can think of this process as like an atomic bomb in reverse. We have to take all the energy of an atomic bomb, pack it into one place, and then hope it turns into matter. Tea. Into tea. (laughs) (laughs) We can do this on a tiny, tiny scale. And by tiny, I mean scale of like individual electrons. Oh. Particle physics labs, you can set things up such that there's enough energy in one place that you'll get positrons or electrons popping into existence from it. Just one or like a zillion? Um, handfuls. Wow. So we can actually make, we can make electrons. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the energy, I guess it's a deeper subject. What is that energy? What does that mean? Where does the energy come from? Yeah. And what is it when it's just energy? It's a, called a gamma ray, which is essentially uh, a photon, which is a little blob of light. Okay. Okay, so we get a really powerful blob of light that has a lot of energy in one place. Oh, that's what, that's what gets created, or that's what's used to that's make... What we, that's what we create, and then hope it tur- that packet of energy turns into an electron. Oh, I see. So we make a photon... And then that turns into an electron. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So it's something we can do on this tiny, insignificant scale. Right. But at least it suggests the possibility of something like the replicator. Right. Right. If we can do it for one electron, surely we can do it for the 10 to the 27th electrons we need to make a cup of tea. So this is how far we are from actually having a replicator. At the moment, we can only make handfuls of electrons. Now, electrons aren't even atoms. They aren't elements. It's just yeah, like protons are way harder than electrons. Uh-huh. And we need a lot of protons to make tea. Oh. No matter what flavor, it's... <laughs> no matter what flavor. That's what, <laughs> mint is really hard, but uh, any of the black teas aren't so bad. But to, to give you, I've, I've just been talking sort of generally about, you know, really big or large, but to, to get, stick some numbers on here, if yeah. people don't mind. So one gram of matter that we need to make. So a gram is like a paperclip or maybe a potato chip is better since we're, we're making food with our replicator. Yes. So the amount of energy it takes to make one potato chip is something like 42 kilotons of nuclear power. What? 42 ki- So what is that? What is that? How does that? 
the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima was about 10 kilotons. Wow. So we need four nuclear bombs worth of energy Whoa. to create a single potato chip. <laughs> Boy, that, they talk about kettle cooked. <laughs> this is yeah these are nuclear cooked for now i i always have to ask this it's, it's so odd that the hiroshima thing has become the standard and yet none of us really have any idea i mean it helps because like we've seen we can see movies of it and you say okay well there's a huge explosion one bomb destroys a whole city uh, get it that's how big that is but modern it's different subject but i'm just curious what is the equivalent of like um I don't know I, I, what is there any other way of describing that or what what is it um or actually you mentioned the nu- the nuclear power plant for instance one kilogram has been powering a third of so, so let's say one third of a kilogram oh no sorry three kilograms have powered New York City for forty years actually here let me do a quick calculation. <sighs> Um, this is called a back of the podcast calculation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is the output of the whole Indian Point nuclear power plant for about half an hour. Okay. Okay. Wow. For one potato chip. For one potato chip. All right. So either you can power three million homes or you can have a potato chip. <laughs> well... If you're not one of the three million homes, you're going to go for that potato right. chip. That's that's the, give me that potato that's chip. The sad, well, it's certainly the Klingons would do that. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, no question there. Yeah. So Guy is from Queens, right? So uh, let's say he can. we can either choose to power Queens or have a potato chip. <laughs> well, in Kings County... <laughs> <laughs> we have all the potato chips you're going to want. Bring me a chip. Yeah, and actually ours are artisanal. <laughs> <laughs> So the, I guess the point I want to convey there is that is a staggering amount of energy to create a potato chip from nothingness. And is there any way around that? Or is that just absurd? That's it. You know, that's the, somehow the enterprise is carrying an enormous nuclear power plant. Right. So in, certainly in Star Trek, it seems that their starships can generate enormous amounts of energy. True, true. Yeah. But even if... Even if you have so much energy at hand that this is possible, there's still way better options, right? Just because you have all that energy to spend, that may not be a good idea. So as Guy's question suggests, a much cheaper option is to just have chunks of matter that you rearrange into whatever form you want. Wasn't that called cooking? That's cooking. That's cooking. Well, it sort of is cooking, actually. (laughs) Except you start with, in this case, were I building a, a starship that I wanted to be able to create food on, I would have a big sack of carbon. Ah, uh-huh. And it can just be random carbon molecules, and I need some hydrogen and oxygen molecules mixed in there too, and a little bit of nitrogen. And then when somebody orders a potato chip, instead of making the potato chip from pure energy, I just take those atoms that I already have and rearrange them into the form of a potato chip. Ah, it's like freeze-dried energy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. That's essentially what matter is, right? Ah. 
So now I don't have to convert the energy into matter. I just need to rearrange the matter, which is much, much cheaper. And as you say, that is essentially what cooking is, right? We're just, we're just rearranging existing molecules into f- f- tastier forms. But is, is it, are you literally just talking about that this carbon somehow looks like, I don't know, a flower or something and you're, do you, what do you do to, in other words, is On it my real? spaceship? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so food is just an arrangement of molecules connected to each other in a particular structure that holds, that stores energy in a way that our body can liberate. And different, uh, so, so proteins have a particular structure and starches have a particular structure. So if I have the ability to move individual atoms around, then I can just move the atoms into that structure. So the carbon in the graphite in your pencil is the same as the carbon that will eventually be in the potato chip. Ah. I can just chuck my pencil into the garbage disposal on the Enterprise, and the Enterprise will take the carbon out of the pencil and combine it with hydrogen from this water molecule over there. And now we have a potato chip. So these are these are just this is just sort of like chemistry. This is chemistry. Yes, that's right. On the this is what chemists do is rearrange atoms and molecules into new and interesting forms. So as I'm not quite clear. Is what you're talking about different than when a chef reaches into a bag, grabs something, pours it into the pan, and it fries it up? In principle, no, it's not any different. It's still just rearranging molecules. But in true science fiction and and techno-loving, technophilic style... It's doing it in a way more complicated way. More complicated way. <laughs> way. Well, it's also supremely flexible. Ah, so okay. there's only so much you can do in a kitchen to rearrange the molecules in the food. But if we have the capability, if we have replicator style capability, then uh, we can make anything, anything that's made of. So you can order a potato chip or a diamond. Right? They're both oh, made. Oh, wow. So uh, you don't need to know ahead of you. You have no restrictions, right? Right. As long as you have the raw molecules there, you can make anything you can conceive of. Now, I could imagine in the uh, in 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 some civilization where potato chips are so rare or so that takes you know it's so difficult to make they can barely make potato chips. So forget the diamonds. Mm-hmm. They they propose to each other with potato chips. Uh, yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah. That, would, that would make perfect sense. Yeah. Um, only danger then is people eat uh, their rings. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's over. <laughs> I should say, in um, in contrast to Star Trek, there's uh, Ian Banks' uh, culture series. Right, yeah. Uh, a, a sci-fi series of, of novels in which the fantastically advanced civilization that does have this capability and the, their ships do carry around just raw material that they then reshape into whatever they need. And interestingly, they they have both kind of raw material like chunks of iron or whatnot, but then also biomass because uh, 
organic molecules are really complicated, like the stuff you and I are made of are, are pretty complicated molecules. So it's a lot easier to just carry around sort of pre-made organic molecules that you can then rearrange into the shape you want uh, than it is to start with atoms. So, so it, yeah, it's kind of so kind of each stage of complexity, it requires a lot more energy to start from zero, and it's almost always a good idea to rearrange instead of create. So, if you had a portable replicator, then you know those shows where like the chef shows up at somebody's house, and it's like we're going to make you a meal using whatever we find in your fridge, yes. or in your <laughs> house, in your cupboards, in your refrigerator. They literally could make it out of anything. Yeah, I mean, that would be the... They could the, make, sorry, they can make anything, literally anything. Yeah, that's right. So the, the fantastical end of, of, of this, this kind of technology is a box in which you chuck materials and then it rearranges, it, then it takes those materials and turns them into their component atoms and then rearranges those atoms into whatever it is you want. So, so it's a little bit like 3D printing. Uh, it would be like 3D printing atom by atom. Yeah, that's the whoa. That's the that's the end goal here. Now, then there's a whole nother. So there's the power source. That's one thing. There's the technology and the recipes. That's a whole nother thing. But then there's the actual physical thing that's going to make that. Like the replicator, actually, does it also make the teacup? It seems to, right? It does. Yep. Yeah. That's right. So how what kind of physical like is there does there have to be an assembly robot in there? I mean, that's really getting to magic where it seems to just yes. instantly you have a <laughs> cup with tea magic. in it. Yeah. The uh I mean Star Trek the answer is probably force fields or something. But we have even today we have the capability of moving around individual atoms, and that's done with um, electrical and magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. right. um, we can't do it uh, fast enough or well enough to sort of make an object out of it, but we can move them around kind of for fun. Hmm. And this was actually done famously, I think, back in the early 90s by IBM, who sort of pioneered the technology, and they made their logo out of individual atoms. In fact, and, and now someone has made, I think it also IBM, made like a little animation Oh, yes, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. So again, these are demonstrations in principle that we can make such a machine down the line. Uh, but right now, the amount of effort that it, the amount of effort and energy and time investment needed to do so makes it Im implausible. Oh, so actually, I, so yeah, I encourage you if you've not, if you don't know what we're talking about with this IBM logo that was assembled out of atoms, a little picture. Google that. And what you're saying is actually that's the beginning of a replicator. Could be. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I'll bet the folks at IBM were thinking about that when they did it. Well, you right. know, our, in not an accident. Yeah, in 2001, there is, uh, I believe it's Haywood Floyd is on his, the space station, and, or, right? And he goes up to, at some point in the story, he goes up to an IBM. What seems to be a replicator it has a little IBM logo on it, and he uh, does something and it hits some buttons, and the thing door slides up, and there is I forget what's in there. Like oh, there's a tray of food, of paste, all different kinds of paste, 
Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's not clear whether that is. I, I don't think they're saying. I don't think Stanley Kubrick was saying that by 2001 we would have replicators. Um, no, see, that's uh, uh, that strikes me as more like the original Star Trek auto chef or yeah. automat kind of thing, right? Yeah. Where you start with uh, fairly complicated food compounds uh, and they just get rearranged. So I guess maybe the lesson here is that there's a bunch of different levels you can do replication kind of stuff on and you can kind of choose. So you can start with pure energy and convert that into matter and then rearrange that matter into the form you want. Or you can start with matter that's already existing and rearrange that into the form you want. Or you can start with slightly complicated molecules and rearrange them into more complicated molecules. And so that would be like the food, the atom by atom food replicator, right? Or you can start with really complicated molecular structures and change them slightly, and that's cooking, right? That's what you do in the kitchen. So depending on what level, what your budget is. Yeah, what your energy budget is. Devices. Yeah. Oh, energy budget, yeah. Right. Interesting. Um, so if you're the kind of civilization that has multiple nuclear bombs worth of energy to play with so you can have a snack, then yeah, go for it. It's kind of hard to imagine a civilization that wouldn't have better things to do with that energy than make you a potato chip. That's interesting you mentioned that, right. It is conceivable that, in other words, energy can become cheaper in a way. Like, I would guess that the amount of energy we use today versus what they used at the turn of the century when people started using electricity is, is, is vastly... In other words, they would say, well, that's, a, that's an absurd amount of energy just to bring pictures onto a screen. Exactly, right. <laughs> the, I mean, no civilization would waste that amount of energy for cat videos. That's <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's possible. I mean, right, like, different think about economy. the amount of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, one of the big sources of, or big um, uses of energy these days is for data mining. Oh. Like for Bitcoin. Right. Crunching mathematical Right. And that, that, that energy doesn't do anything, right? It just right. produces these digital structures yeah. um, that, for various bizarre reasons, have been imbued with economic value. Yeah. But entire power plants are dedicated to just this pointless task. Right? Really? Is that right? There are entire power plants just for mining Bitcoin? Yeah. Which yep. really means crunching prime numbers or something. I mean, it's, uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if you go to Iceland, you can visit one of these. So, there's a whole. Uh, geothermal plant whose only function is to run the the servers down the road that crunch bitcoins. So geothermal, that's okay, but it sounds like in, this is a whole other topic. That this is Bitcoin, other topic. the race for Bitcoin is hurting global warming. Yep, that's exactly right. Like badly, mm -hmm. could be. Yeah, so I think if I remember right, China is actually thinking about regulating um, Bitcoin mining for precisely this reason. Amazing, amazing. So, oh, but, oh, okay, now this is something that wasn't even addressed, and I'll just leave it here, because you can see, again, we open it at the end, we open a door, and it just goes into a hall of mirrors. We never see anyone using the replicator to make money. Oh, yeah, that's right. So this is actually a weird thing about Star Trek 
economics generally is it's unclear whether or not money is a thing. That's right. They talk about credits or... The way I see they claim the various times in the series that it is a money-free society. It's a post-scarcity society is ah, the technical uh, term uh-huh. for exactly this reason, right? Because if you can, if everyone can just make as much gold as they want, then what's the point, right? You, you There's no point in having an economic system based on, on scarcity. You would actually um, rather have a potato chip. You would, exactly, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But it come Deep Space Nine... Yeah. Right. The, the later Star Trek series, they have gold pressed latinum, which is used as a kind of currency, but it's unclear whether like it's not supposed to be replicable or if there's something. Maybe they, they just make the money so they can interact with capitalist societies like the Ferengi. <laughs> it's it's unclear, but it is definitely the case that once if you've got lots of cheap energy um, and you have this kind of technology, then you have to completely rescale the way you think about the value of objects. Wow. All of this from a question about how to make some tea <laughs> out of pure energy. That is, see, that's a great, it's a great what the if. It's a great science question, and it's a really great science fiction question. That's very cool. I will say that the worst example of science fiction money that I've ever seen was simply the on the original Battlestar Galactica, a show which I enjoyed. It, sure. it was nothing compared to what they eventually did with the later version. But uh, <laughs> they would always they would always wind up in casinos for some reason. And uh, they'd still be wearing their flight jackets, like Apollo and Starbuck, who is a man in that version, would mm-hmm. always have cigars and flight jackets and naturally wind up in casinos on every planet they went to. And uh, anyway, when they gambled, they all had like these little coins, the credits. the credits. They were just like these stupid little, they almost look like plastic even on TV. Maybe Anyway, <laughs> dumb looking coins. Yeah. That's yeah. why that society was on the run. Uh, that's right. <laughs> if they had had... Uh, proper replicators, then the Cylons wouldn't have tried to kill them. Although the Cylons were <laughs> replicators. In a, yeah. So what you could make something in that replicator that actually could then the replicators themselves could replicate themselves. Uh, well, sorry. So that is uh, that is another implication here is that you yeah. get once you get a, uh, a machine that can create itself, and this is sometimes called a von Neumann machine. I should say the word, the phrase von Neumann machine refers to a whole bunch of different things because von Neumann was a crazy guy. But the self-replicating machines, and this is often suggested as the best way to explore the galaxy, is you send out one self-replicating probe to another solar system, and then it makes 100 copies of itself and sends those out to another solar system, and then they report back you know what they find um there's a disturbing implication here which is that eventually the entire galaxy will be nothing but von neumann machines although if the british do this which it would i wouldn't put it past them shout mm-hmm. out to your british bookstore they would be self replic they would be replicators that replicate themselves and then continue to make tea on every planet in the universe yeah that's that's right if the british send out the von neumann machines then the entire galaxy will be t i mean as far as they're concerned they would they would dare not even start to set out on an adventure until the universe had been seeded with hot tea that would be a really good idea actually (laughs) yeah wow guy raider from queens new york thank you for this unbelievable 
thought-provoking and hunger-inducing, as so many of our <laughs> ifs are, idea. What is the Star Trek replicator? I'm going to go back and watch some of those. Some, uh, I'm sure someone has strung together like Star Trek replicator moments on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a YouTube dedicated to that. Yeah. In gratitude, Guy, you will be receiving a wonderful puppet of a scientist or science fiction character. I'm going to guess some Star Trek. Some hungry mm, Star yeah, Trek yeah. character may be in soon arriving at your door from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild, philosophersguild.com. By the way, for you listeners who have uh, send in your ideas so that you you become you achieve super if or status if we take your idea, run with it as we did with guys today. But you need not wait if you want to have a finger puppet now, or actually anything from the hilarious uh, Unemployed Philosophers Guild. There's smart, funny gifts for smart. <laughs> There's smart, funny gifts for smart, funny toys for smart, <laughs> funny people. <laughs> You can have your own for 10% off anything on their website if you use the coupon code WTIF. And another friend of ours, Thomas Romer, at the Chop Shop Store guy is actually going to be sending you a set of stickers, like a whole set of stickers he's got now, celebrating different planets and different historic spaceships. All kinds of little pictures like that. You'll be receiving. Awesome. So you can also get, uh, listeners, the discount there from our friend Thomas Romer at the Chop Shop Store chopshopstore.com use the coupon code WTIF and on his store you get 15% off all his really cool beautiful artworks and fun souvenirs from your space travels basically yeah they're very cool very cool our website whattheif.com you can't buy crap yet <laughs> we need to work it we need to work you know it's like the world has made it easy someday we'll have t-shirts suggestions but also send in suggestions for merch you'd like to see sold Nonetheless, you can see all our episodes totally for free. You can subscribe totally for free, so it shows up in your podcatcher. Um, also, I would uh, like to heartily ask you, from the bottom of my heart, if you have not yet uh, left us a review, if you could do that uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's now called, uh, you can do it on by the web, and you can do it by your app on your phone, whatever you're listening to. That would be super helpful. I dare say we have some trolls coming oh, in, dear. and we got to beat them back. Tell us how you really. I mean, hey, if you really, if, if you just listen to this whole thing and you're like, that sucked. That was like one quarter of a star. Okay, I can't stop you. But if you thought it was maybe five stars. Or you could write a few words so you could help other people understand that it. it's worth listening to and uh, help us grow. Our goal is to spread science literacy and uh, end trollism. We'll do our best. Anyway, uh, also you can email us directly, feedback at whattheif.com, and find us on Twitter at whattheifshow, and on Facebook, and on Instagram, and on Mars. <laughs> More about that later. <laughs> Next week, who knows what the what the if idea replicator in the basement will generate? Anything when that door goes up, it goes up very slowly. By the way, so it's just and I know it's just for dramatic effect. Yeah. I've made you something. I'm going to make you wait. But who knows what? It'll be. But what it is, whatever it is, when that door goes up and we peek, I think I've even seen this on Star Trek. Somebody say peek underneath. They're like, come on, what is it? What did you make me? Did it work? A light will come out 
as in was it brother from another planet did that a light coming out of the trunk of a car yeah and pulp fiction it comes out of a suitcase briefcase yeah the briefcase light is going to start streaming out of the what the if replicator soon to be sold at what the we will look at that and say what, what the, the if. If.